All right. Hey, will someone grab that door in the back, please? We're going to go ahead and get started. How's everyone doing? Tired? Good? Assaulting? Good? After this, you're going to have some time uh, to process with your campuses. Um, so, yeah. And glory to God. It's been good, hasn't it? Um, my name is Josh. Uh, I direct Pi Alpha at the University of Alabama. I can't tell if those were woohoos or boos. I'll assume the former. Um, yeah, and, and today I want to talk uh, about something that's really been uh, it's been a, a core part of my life for a long time that I just haven't really had a lot of understanding of until recently. Um, have you guys ever noticed? that any time that we come together, whether it's for SALT or, or like on your campuses for service or anything like that, one of the first things that we do is we sing. Y'all notice that? Yeah. yeah. Do y'all know why we do that? And I'll be honest, uh, I went years, even like leading worship and never really even asking the question, why is this such a fundamental element of the church coming together, right? Uh, and in fact, if if you're new to it all, it kind of seems random, right? Like, why are all of these Christians always singing songs? Like, no other group that I'm a part of does this before we do something, you know? Before we talk, like before you have a uh, class or something, you know? Like, hey, let's all sing about math first. You know? <laughs> no one does that. Why do Christians do this, right? It does seem kind of random. Uh, but I think we just kind of accept it, especially if, you, if you've grown up in church. I mean, this is just how things are. It's how things have always been. You start church services by singing, or even if Chi Alpha is kind of your first exposure to this, you know, it doesn't take long for you to realize, okay, this is like what, what's normal for Christians to do. Every time they come together, they sing songs. And I think we just kind of settle into that form, but we don't fully understand it. Like I said, I, I've led worship, I don't know, probably 15 years now uh, in Chi Alpha and stuff like that. And I didn't even, even as a young worship leader, I'm going to talk about that, I had no idea why this was a part of our services. And it really wasn't until kind of recently I started asking that question. And I discovered that the answer is actually a really powerful and deep thing. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. So Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, yeah, so today we're going to talk about what the Bible actually says about worship and about this whole singing thing that we do. So uh, before we get into it, let's talk, let's first talk about music. First of all, do we have any like musicians here? Awesome, cool. Um, any of you guys, uh, well, I'll say that question. Um, music. Someone define music for me. What is music? What you got? Sound? What else? What you got? Okay, we're, we're getting closer. We started at sound. We're like, ah, but more. It's intentional. It's organized. What else we got? Okay, there's a message. Okay, yeah, so it can evoke 
certain feelings, right? Requires components of like of rhythm and melody, and it portrays a very good. Yeah. Yeah, I would say um, the way I would define it simply would just be sound with meaning. Right? Mm. Sound with meaning. <laughs> I like when people go, mmm. <laughs> 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 um, sound with meaning. I listened to a podcast recently uh, that was, it was called The uh, Music as the Unexplored Apologetic. This is really interesting. Music has the unexplored apologetic. And the premise of it is this. Music is a mysterious thing, right? We, we have a hard time uh, understanding it, but it does something in us, right? We feel something in it. And, and the podcast is talking about how uh, you can't define music scientifically. You, you can't just say it's, it's sound waves, it's changing air pressure, whatever, because that's sound, but that's not music. What makes sound music is whenever there's some sort of connection to that sound, and there's some sort of meaning or emotional response to that sound. That's when it becomes music. And a lot of times it does follow certain forms, melody and rhythm and stuff, uh, but, but those aren't always... Uh, Restrictive, you know, music can have a wide uh, range and variety, right? But but still, the response is the same. It does something in us. And secularists have a very hard time with music. You know why? Because everyone feels the same thing from it, but they can't describe why they feel it. And they rely on science to be able to understand the world around them. And music is this this annoying thing that touches something deeper in them, and they don't know why. They don't know why, why that's happening. I believe that music proves a transcendent reality. At the very least, music proves a transcendent reality. Uh, if, you have, if you have a hard time explaining scientifically why something is true, then it's probably because there's a transcendent reality that's governing our reality, right? Ultimately, I believe that music is so powerful because God has given it to us as a gift. Amen. And it's a gift with a certain purpose, okay? So, um, I don't think this is a, a, a big secret. Um, the film industry definitely knows this, right? Uh, have you ever watched a movie with zero music in it? <laughs> uh, have you ever... Have you, have you ever watched a commercial with no music? Think about it. Just pay attention next time you're just browsing through all of your commercials. Like, there, you never just have someone up there talking, just a floating head talking. There's always some sort of music, right? The film industry knows this because uh, the message of the movie is more powerful when you couple it with the appropriate music, right? Uh, if think of think of a moving scene in a movie, right? Uh, Lion King. <laughs> Great. Lion King. What's the most moving scene in Lion King? Don't say it. I'm not asking you to say it. I don't want to say it. <laughs> Sorry, spoil it for. 
all of you living in a cave out there. Right? <laughs> Mufasa dies. Oh! And it is, it is powerful. But, watch that scene on me. <laughs> Seriously, like, it's, it's still like, oh no. But, but like, it won't, it won't make you cry. But Hans Zimmer gets in there, and he composes score for the movie, and he starts hitting all these minor chords and these climbing sevenths, and it's just doing something in me, you know? Like, man, Simba's an orphan now. <laughs> this is sad, you know? Yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a video, you can look it up on YouTube. It's called Star Wars Without John Williams. Have y'all ever seen that? It's, it's the last scene of Star Wars Episode Four, I guess. I don't know. You know, um, and it's it's them at like the ceremony where Princess Leia is like, you know, giving them their little necklace thing. I don't know. Anyway, but they they take they take the score out of it, and so it's just like seven minutes of them like walking and then smiling. <laughs> they add like this like, fully smacking sound. It's just really awkward. No one's talking. No one's clapping. It's just completely silent. Everyone's, like, smiling, grinning. It's really awkward, right? Yeah, so the music industry knows this. Uh, companies know this. That's why there are uh, songs behind commercials, because they're trying to manipulate your emotions. It's all about manipulation, right? They're trying to get you to feel a certain way about their product, or about their message, or themselves, or whatever. They're trying to get you to feel something, okay? Music has that power. But it's, it's not just to make you feel something. Music has this way of even allowing us to connect and to respond and to express ourselves. And I believe that's the element of it. It's a gift from God. So music moves us. It can't be quantified through scientific terms. Um, the point of all that, is that music, music touches our soul. It's not just our emotions. And think about this, like another problem for the secularists is that if, if this were somehow connected back to an event, like I hear this song and it reminds me of a painful experience in my life, then maybe I can say that music is just associated with this certain event and that's why it's moving me. But that's not the case. Right? We can hear something new, and all of us can have the same response to it. It's not connected to anything in the past. There's something transcendent about it. Uh, and let me ask you this. Have, have any of you guys been in worship, and like they start playing the song, and it's your song? <laughs> what, what's one of those songs for you? Like just, it's really powerful to you, really moves you, and you really resonate with it. Reckless Love, yeah. Man, the first time I heard Reckless Love, I was, I was wrecked myself, yes. What's the song? Good. Yeah! Yeah! Yeah, what else? Peace, oh yeah. Scars? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, one more. Your love is like... Your love is like Ray Vito, not like Byron Vito. Oh, 
Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So this is it, though. We in the church, whenever we couple this powerful thing of music with the most powerful message, the gospel, and we're responding to the creator God through music, it's the most powerful experience that we can have, right? Have you guys ever had one of those experiences in, in worship? I'm going to keep doing this until I explain it. But in worship, when, when like, you know, the lights turn blue, <laughs> the sense swells, you know, and, and like, it's just really powerful and it, it moves you and you start responding like on your knees or you, you come to the full or to the front or whatever. Right. And, and if you pay attention, this is also a response that uh, a lot of times doesn't happen or it's, I would say it's more powerful because of music, you know, like we'll, we'll respond sometimes in humility and we'll bow or something like that, but there's just an emotional connection that's happening because of music. Right. So this word uh, sorry, M music moves our soul. God has given it to move our soul, but also to express our soul. And that word expression is very important. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but this is the key. Uh, what we do before a service, you know, what we're going to do at 7.45 p.m. tonight is not worship. It may be a shock. That's why I keep doing this. It's not worship. It's not a form of worship. It's not entering into a time of worship. It has nothing to do with worship. Now, I'm going to explain all this. And, and once I do, you don't have to be like the praise police. And anytime someone says worship, you're like, oh, 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 that's not worship. That's praise. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> and you'll even notice that the name of the session is like worshiping as a kingdom of priests or something. Like, it's just how we understand it. And so I'm not trying to uh, reform all of that. But I think it is important that we understand that, that what is happening over there isn't worship. Worship is something else. But that is also something that's very important. Okay. So our Bibles talk about this. Um, However, sometimes the English translations do a, a kind of a poor job of uh, translating everything the way that, uh, especially in the Old Testament, the Hebrew would describe it. So um, there is a differentiation um, in our translations. Usually it's worship and praise, right? But even like in the church, we've taken praise and worship and we mean the same thing, right? All right, we're... Would the, the worship band come up? We're going to have some time of praise and worship. And our worship leader is going to lead us into a time of praise and worship. Right? And we just kind of consolidate all of that to the same thing. But they're really different. Praise is one thing. Worship is another thing. Okay? So let's talk a little bit about the Hebrew. You want to speak Hebrew? Good. I don't need that. <laughs> um, you can do this yourself. You can get a blue letter Bible or something. And, and just go through and search for verses that talk about worship or praise or whatever. And you can, you can like start digging down to see what is it that they're literally saying about what's happening. So there's a word, um, it's called abad, maybe. Um, that means to serve, okay? It means to serve or to obey. 
in your Bible is translated as worship. There's another word called saha. It means to bow down or to prostrate yourself. In your Bible, it says worship. Another one uh, is pronounced maybe yare, which means to revere or to fear, right? To, to hold something with a lot of weight, with glory. In your Bible, it's translated as worship. In Greek, there's a word, <laughs> I'm not even going to try, I guess a little prosk. There's like six consonants in a row, but <laughs> proskunio. Anyway, it means the same thing to bow or to revere in your Bible is translated as worship, okay? Uh, there's another word called zamar, which means to sing, to make music with instruments. That's translated as praise. Another word, barak, it means to bless or to kneel. In your Bible, it's translated as praise. Tehila, to sing a hymn of praise, an act of public praise. Yada, which means to give thanks or to laud. Halal, which means to boast. All of these are translated as praise. There's another one, halal. Does that sound familiar? Halal, why does that sound familiar? Hallelujah! Right? It's the root word of hallelujah. Halal is, uh, is a Hebrew word that means praise. Yah is a shortened version of Yahweh. So that phrase is saying praise Yahweh. It's to offer praise to Yahweh. Which is actually, it's not the act itself. To say hallelujah isn't praising. Hallelujah is a call for everyone to offer praise to Yahweh. In, in kind of modern language, we say praise God, right? But even in this, uh, we started doing this with our staff team. It's pretty fun. Uh, with praise God, like we'll say, hey, man, last night my battery was dead. This morning I, I turned the, the key and it started up. And everyone says, praise God. And what we mean by that is, hey, let's give credit to God for this good thing that happened, right? But what, what we should be doing is when someone says, praise God, we should either zamar, balak, or barak, tehila, yada, halal. Right? We should be shouting or clapping or singing or dancing or something like that. We should be offering praise to God. So we started this thing that anytime someone habitually just says praise God, we all just start like <laughs> celebrating, right? And it's the same thing. If someone says hallelujah, and everyone's just like, gross, right? it's a lot of fun. Um, there's a story where Abraham takes his son Isaac, right? God, God tells Abraham to take Isaac up the mountain and to sacrifice him. And so Abraham takes his son and they're about to climb the mountain. And the servants are like, hey, where are you going? He says, you guys stay behind. I'm going to go and worship God. And he didn't have an acoustic guitar with him. <laughs> okay? There's another story. Right? So what, what was the worship? It was a banjo. <laughs> Not a banjo. It was obedience, right? I'm going out to obey God to offer a sacrifice. That is worship, right? There's another story where Moses is before Pharaoh, and he's like, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, baby, let my people go. And, and he says, so that we can go out in the wilderness and worship, right? They weren't, they weren't going to go out and sing Reckless Love at Mount Sinai, 
right? They were going to offer sacrifices and make covenant with God, right? There's a, a verse in Romans chapter 12 that just that defines worship for us. Does anyone know it? Anyone know it? Offer yourselves. Now you know, right? Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act or spiritual act of worship. So what is worship? Worship is offering our lives as a sacrifice to God. It's living a life of obedience to God, right? Worship isn't the singing stuff that's praised. Worship is offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God. That's why I don't believe in worship leaders who, who are just guys who stand in the front with acoustic guitars. That's not a worship leader. A worship leader is a disciple maker. Yeah. It's someone who's leading someone to lay down their life as a living sacrifice to God. If you're going to lead worship, you're going to lead other people to lay their lives down for Jesus. right? And this is why, I think this is why this is important. Because if we're just singing songs, if we're singing, like, whatever it takes, I'll do it. Whatever I lose is worth it. But we're not worshiping God in our lives. Then, it, yeah, it's not praise. Because what praise is, and you can, if you're taking notes, I'm sorry, I don't have a screen. Yes, I do. <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't have slides, okay? <laughs> but if you're taking notes, you can do this, right? Praise the definition of praise, just my definition would be an expression of, or an expression of worship, an expression from a worshiper. That's all praise is. Uh, it, it would be meaningless if there was not real worship. I think that's why this, this can be confusing if you've, if you've ever seen a teenager who goes to a, a camp, or maybe you, you go to a big conference or something like that, and the lights turn blue, and the synth comes up, and and you start just feeling really emotional and you make some commitments to God, like, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this for you, whatever it takes, I'll do it, you know? And then it's all over, and you're like, oh, hold on, because the emotions change. And you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm a little disillusioned now because what happened back there? Well, what, what happened back there was you were feeling the effect of the music, but your life wasn't ready to worship. So so we have to be living lives of worship. And when we do, that's why those words are so powerful. It's because they're true, you know? And, and, and we, we feel this, too, because you hear people, like, we sing a song like that, you know? Uh, like a surrender song. And then someone will be like, hold on, hold on. We can't just sing these words. Like, we have to really be willing to surrender. You know, that's what we're doing. We're saying we can't just praise. We need to worship in praise, you know? Think about it this way. Girls, let's say... Let's say that there's a guy, you don't even know him, but he comes up and he's like, hey, I saw you worshiping yesterday. I just want to tell you I love you. All right? Take that. Take that. Compared to when Katie and I were dating, I was overseas, um, and, and we had like this long-distance relationship going on, and uh, I called her one time over Skype. Called her over Skype, and and I had like I had I had been reading a lot of scripture, just been spending a lot of time with God, and and I just got to this point in my life, and Katie knew this that 
I, I wasn't going to say I love you to anybody unless I was like in my heart, I'm ready to marry this person. You know, like if, if I say I love you, then this is a commitment. Like I'm, I'm making covenant to you. And so Katie and I talked on Skype and I, <laughs> I had like this 30 minute speech I prepared, prepared and I told her for the first time that I loved her. Okay. Now compare that with this. Do you see how, how someone who comes up and uses the words, I love you, but there is no real love? It's empty, isn't it? But for someone like Katie to hear those words, knowing that I, it's really true, it was really powerful. It's the same with God. God doesn't want our participation in the songs. You know it? God doesn't want us to sing louder and to dance harder and to, and to make the, the floor do that subwoofer thing, you know? In fact, there, there's a scripture, I think in Isaiah, where God's like, man, what's up with all this loud noise and stuff? You guys aren't loving people. Stop with the assembly, stop with the loud noise. I hate it. Love people, show mercy, right? Worship, be obedient. Y'all catching it? So, I think that, that God has given us this way to connect with him that has been in some ways lost in the modern church, okay? I'm not trying to bash Western church or anything like that because this is really my experience and it may just be my experience, but I, I always understood that, that worship was something that was pleasing to God and my idea of worship was singing the songs. And, and he was really happy if I raised my hands, you know. And that, that, that was a sign to God that I'm, I'm giving my life to him. But then if I'm living in disobedience, it's meaningless, you know. And I struggled with that a lot. And I think it's not just the terminology, though. And I think it's helpful to, to separate those two because we have to be living lives of worship. And when we live lives of worship... This, this, this idea of praise is very powerful. God has given us something very powerful to express our souls to him with. But there's another way that I see in, in the Western church that we've, we've really hijacked what, what praise is, and we've, we've pushed it off into something that is really not. Okay, so we're going to talk about that right now. I want you to turn to your Bibles if you have them. In Exodus chapter 19. Turns out that this isn't just a modern day problem. Uh, the, the misunderstanding that I'm about to describe is something that dates all the way back to Israel back in Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. Well, this is a crazy story. Israel's just been delivered from Egypt. They're out in the wilderness. They're at, at the base of Mount Sinai. Okay? And this was a sign, by the way, to Israel that God was going to be faithful. He told them, you'll know that, I'm, that what I'm saying is true. Whenever you're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, delivered from Egypt, and there you'll worship. Right? And so uh, we're going to start in verse 3. Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. First of all, think about that. Moses is going to climb this mountain to appear before God, to see God. 
And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And this is like super dense. Uh, there are a couple of things that are striking here. Um, first of all is this, this idea of kingdom. God is saying this is the first first time. Israel was, a, was a, a person, right? Jacob was renamed Israel. Israel had a family. That family grew and grew until it became a people group that eventually was a nation, but has never had a king. It was never a kingdom. They were slaves. You know, they were a family. They were a people group, but they were never a kingdom. And God brings them out there and he's like, you're going to be a kingdom. Now let me ask, who was the king? It was God. God was meaning or intending to be the king of Israel. So that's striking thing number one. God is, is saying, I will be your king. Striking thing number two is that everyone was going to be a kingdom of priests. Now, what is a priest? What are, what are some of the roles of a priest? What does a priest do? Okay. Or teach, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so so the priest is like the mediator between God and other people, right? They stand as the place of mediator. And and so because of that, they're the ones who can enter the tent, right? And to be in the presence of God. So a priest is someone who has direct connection with God and then has the responsibility to mediate between God and the and other nations. And this this is all congruent by the way with Every covenant that God has ever spoken over Israel, even to Abraham, he said, through your seed, you will be a blessing to the nations, right? In other words, through this family, Israel, you will mediate to the rest of the nations to extend my blessing, right? So you will be a kingdom of priests. Okay, verse nine. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. And they will always trust you. And Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Um, sorry, I skipped something, didn't I? Uh, seven. Verse seven. Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded them. And the people responded together, we'll do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to him. That's when the Lord said, I will come to you in a thick cloud so the people can hear me when I speak to you and they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people said. And the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes. Be sure they're ready on the third day. For on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai as, uh, as all the people watch. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain and warn the people, be careful. Do not go at the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary or they'd be stoned. Uh, they must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up the mountain. That is incredibly important, okay? Let me break down what's happening. God says, hey, I'm about to come down on this mountain, okay? 
I want you to tell Israel to consecrate themselves, to purify themselves, and to, to make this boundary, and they're to approach the mountain. And they're to stand there. Don't, don't rush on ahead. Just stand there and wait for my instructions. And whenever the ram's horn blows, when you hear that trumpet, everyone is invited to do what? Come up the mountain. Now this is this is huge. God is inviting the entire nation of Israel to ascend the mountain to meet with God. Because he was calling them to be a kingdom of priests, right? Everyone was invited up the mountain. Now, your Bible, uh, just because uh, biblical authors are geniuses and sometimes are too smart for us, uh, sometimes things are kind of mixed up. In the story, what happens, you kind of have this this overview of the whole story, and then at the end, it zooms into the key point uh, that you're wondering about. Okay, so that's that's what's about to happen. On uh, on the morning of the third day, this is verse 16. Thunder roared, lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. So they've already consecrated themselves, they purified themselves, and here it is: God has come down and descended on the mountain, and it's pretty scary. There's thunder. Roaring, lightnings flashing, and there was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn. What does that mean, by the way? What, what happens with the long, loud blast of the ram's horn? What's supposed to happen? All right, it's game time. We're here waiting by the line. There's the horn. We know what to do, right? We're supposed to go up the mountain, and it says, All the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Israel stopped at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. Okay, this is this is kind of a freaky scene. You gotta you gotta have a little bit of sympathy for Israel. Like we're about to walk up into this burning cloud of fire. There's lightning and and another place it says that the, the mountain shook violently. All right, this is a really violent scene. And, and we're going to find out that this really was a test for Israel to trust God. But they didn't. They stopped short and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Okay? Um, uh, verse 19, as the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on top of Mount Sinai, and then Moses went up to the top. Okay? Now, while Moses is up there, um, uh, God's like, hey, where are all the people? <laughs> he said, yeah, they, they stopped at the boundary. Uh, so skip on to verse... Sorry, hold on. This is the next chapter, chapter 20. In verse 18. This is the part where you got the whole broad picture, right? Y'all with me? God descends on the mountain. He says, Israel, I want you to come up the mountain. Israel gets to the foot of the mountain. And they're like, okay, we're done. And we're left as the readers are like, okay, well, what happened, right? Because the command was for them to go up the mountain to be the kingdom of priests, but they didn't. And God's like, hey, uh, what's going on? And Moses is like, yeah, they stopped at the boundary. And now we zoom in to see... Whenever they were at the foot of the mountain, this is what happens. When the people 
heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. What was the problem? They were scared, right? Moses says, don't be afraid. For God has come in this way to test you, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And as the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. There are two ways to read this. The wrong way and the right way that Tim Mackey taught me. Hey. All right? The wrong way is, is for Israel to stand at the foot of the mountain and they're like, we're not going up there. If we look at God and he talks to us directly, we're going to die. And Moses says, very good. This was all a test to see if you would revere and fear God. Y'all stay here, I'll go up and talk to God. Wrong way, okay? The right way is, is to read the whole story. God has invited them up the mountain to be a kingdom of priests. Why would he do that if he was like secretly wanting them to not go up the mountain? You know, it's stupid. He wanted them up the mountain. And, and they're like, we're not gonna go up there, it's scary. And Moses says, don't be afraid. Come on, like, let's go up the mountain, don't be afraid. This is a test. Are you going to trust God? Or are you going to sin and disobey and stay at the foot of this mountain? They think about it and they say, you go up the mountain for us. We're going to stay here and sin. Build a golden calf. right? And at that point, Israel traded that, that calling to be a kingdom of priests. To be a kingdom with priests. And that was the rest of the story. From that point on, Israel had priests that would go into the tent. They would meet with God. They would intercede for the people. They would mediate between God and the people. But the people of God had no direct interaction with the presence of God. But they had the opportunity. Anyone, any one of them could have followed Moses up the mountain. And engage with God in the same way that Moses did. But they chose to sin instead. Alright? Now I think in a lot of ways, let's, let's relate this back to what we were talking about earlier. In a lot of ways, the church has traded that same calling to be a kingdom of priests. To be a kingdom with priests. And we're content to show up on Sundays, in a lot of ways, and to say like, okay, that's the pastor. He's the one who's supposed to hear from God and tell us what God's saying. All right? That's the worship leader. He has the responsibility of leading me into the throne room. These are the songwriters. Bethel, Hillsong, Maverick City, Elevation, whatever. They're the ones who tell me how to express myself to God. Or myself to God. But God doesn't want us to be a kingdom with priests. He wants all of us to be priests. Now this is congruent also with Chi Alpha, that we are all Christ ambassadors. We all take on the responsibility of the Great Commission. We don't just leave it up to the missionaries or to the evangelists or whatever. We all have heard the, the commission to go and make disciples. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were operating through us. We've been reconciled to God, now we carry the message of reconciliation. Whether you have credentials, you're ordained, 
or not. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are an ambassador of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a priest. This is reemphasized in Peter. Uh, y'all flip over to Peter, First Peter, uh, chapter two. Y'all, this is cool because this, you know, sometimes you hear things in the in the Old Testament. And you're like, okay, yeah, but that was like that was an Old Testament thing. A lot of things have changed in the New Testament, particularly with Jesus, baptism, the Holy Spirit, and all that stuff. This is after all those events. Okay, First Peter, chapter two. Verse 9. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Let's start in uh, yeah, verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. That's the same thing that Exodus 19 said. Exodus 19 it said, you are a kingdom of priests, God's special possession. First Peter says, you are a kingdom of priests, God's special possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. As a priest, you have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light, and you can declare God's goodness to the nations. You are a mediator now for God to the nations. But particularly in, in the context of, of worship or praise, we, I think we've forsaken this, this calling and this identity to be a kingdom of priests. To, to use this, God, or this gift that God has given us to express our souls to God. And instead, we've relied only on, I'll call it resonance. This is what I mean by that. Reckless love. The Corey Asbury's out there. Or the elevations or, you know, the, uh, what's the name? I just said Long hair, Brandon like, yeah. We've relied on those guys who are who are creating these authentic expressions from their souls to God. And we're trying to resonate with them. And that happens, and I think that's a good thing. That when the body of Christ is resonating with a song, like it's activating something in us, it's true, and and we want to declare it because it's also true, that's a good thing. But that's all we do, isn't it? That's all we do. All right, let's let's build our set of four or five songs. Maverick City, Elevation, Bethel, Hillsong, you name it, right? What are other people writing? What are, what are other people doing? Where's the space within the church for us to express ourselves to God authentically? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. I'll just read this to you. Verse 19, there we go. Don't be drunk with wine. Or sorry, this is 18. Yeah. Sorry, that's just how it starts, huh? Just, so don't do it, okay? <laughs> don't be drunk with wine. This is in context of a lot of other stuff. You have to read the whole chapter. Because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Singing psalms and hymns and songs from your spirit or spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord from your hearts. Okay, so what I what I see in that is that we have psalms and hymns. What are those? Psalms and hymns are the reckless loves. And they're the pre-written songs that David and other people wrote that resonate with us. And sing those when you come together. Sing those and songs from the Spirit and from your 
heart. What is that? Where's the space for that? By the way, this wasn't written to the worship team of Ephesus. It's written to the church. This is what it means to be the church when the body of Christ comes together. We express ourselves to God in an authentic way. You guys heard this uh, example um, by Alexa the other night, but it, it would be the same as if, uh, if, if I were to go out on our anniversary and get a card that just has some fancy way of saying I love you and give it to Katie, right? And, and it may be like really well written, it may rhyme, you know? <laughs> Maybe it's big words and I give it to her and she reads it, thanks, that's awesome, right? But, or I could go out and I could write my own letter to Katie. And it may be poorly worded. I may not know how to use commas correctly. <laughs> Let's be honest, who does? <laughs> all right, and then everyone's like, I do, you're an idiot. <laughs> we all know how to use commas, anyway. <clears throat> but I give, I give this letter to Katie, and it's true, and it's from me. Which one's more meaningful? You know? I think that, I think that we can all come together and we can recite poetry to God. He's like, ah, oh, I love that. Or we can just express ourselves to God in our own way. And I think something is very, very special to the heart of the Lord when his children are coming up to him saying, I love you like this. You are this to me. You know, we have kids. We have three boys. And they're not very eloquent in their speech. I don't need them to be eloquent in their speech. They can just simply say, I love you. And, and I love that, you know. Because it's true. It's true for them. It's authentic. They're just expressing themselves. That means so much to me as a dad. It means so much to the heart of the Father when we express ourselves authentically. So, are y'all tracking with that? There are a couple of practicals with this. And this is, this is some of the stuff that I've wrestled with a little bit in the last year, uh, last few years. You guys have probably heard of Kingdom of Priests within Chi Alpha, right? Kingdom of Priests is not a band, all right? It's this. It's what we're talking about right now, okay? Now, we, we're trying to empower all of Chi Alpha to authentically express themselves to God. That's all it is. You have something in your, in your soul, in your heart, express it to God, okay? The songwriting, the albums, and all of that stuff, you know, that's, that's just an element of it that's really taking those songs that are being written that resonate with our community and we're just sharing them and broadcasting them. Like the songs that, uh, that we've been singing over there, some of them are written by people in the Southeast. Like Lex over there wrote one of them. There's another girl in South Central that wrote one of them. Like these are our songs from our community that are using our language from our experiences to express worship to God. Right? That's awesome. I, and I think there's something really powerful in that. Um, and on, on our campus, we began songwriting um, years ago. And I just noticed that there was this different response when we had seen an original song than if we sang you know, someone else's song. And it, we didn't get up and say, hey, everybody, I wrote this song, so please enjoy. You know? like we weren't advertising it that way. We were just singing songs. But, but when we sang, the first one was a song called Wilderness. And it was like we were, uh, we were studying how God uses the wilderness to cultivate dependency. You know, we're studying all that. And we're like, 
we just wrote this song from it, and we sang it. And dude, you should have been there. It was, like, it was powerful. Like the the kind of response that it evoked in us, because it was saying what we all wanted to say. You know how we wanted to say it. It was relevant to our experience. I think we can capture that on all of our campuses. Now, some of you are musicians. Some of you may even be songwriters. Um, and I want to challenge you specifically to write music, to write some songs. You may not may not have a lot of experience or anything like that. Uh, there may be a learning curve or whatever. This is one piece of advice that I'd offer to you, though. You don't have to write anything good. You only have to write something that's true, something that's honest. You know what? I use this example. If I, if I were to go into a room and I were to sit down with a guitar and I'd say, God, you are good, good, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm just being honest, I wouldn't share that with anybody, I walk out, I look, I'm like, this sucks, I am a terrible songwriter, you know, why is that, why is King of My Heart such a, such a powerful song? It's true, isn't it? God is good. He's good. Oh, I don't have to say anything else. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Right. What's, what's powerful about that song is that it's true. And it's saying what I want to say to God, you know? It doesn't have to be a so will I. That is, is a beautiful song. It's super poetic, you know? It, it just has to be true. It has to be authentic. It doesn't have to be good. By the way, who creates the standards of what is good? You know, if I were to write a letter to Katie, and one of you guys who knows how to use commas comes and looks and is like, you're just a comma wrong here. I don't care. I don't care what you think about my commas. I'm trying to tell something to my wife, you know? I, and, and I don't, no one's going to critique your expression of love to your Lord. And if they do, that's their problem. Right? It's not yours. This is for you to express something from your heart to God. Yeah. So if you are a songwriter, I, I want to challenge you to write songs. Write songs. Uh, if, if you are a songwriter, i tell you this. If you are a songwriter, talk to me uh, afterwards with any questions that you have. Because I've learned a lot about this, about like trying to write a song for Chi Alpha. Like, can I imagine a song being sung you know, in a corporate setting? And I've just worked it backwards the whole time. There's a better way to do it, and I can teach you that if you are a songwriter. But this isn't for musicians, okay? Right? This isn't for the musicians of Ephesus, the musicians of Chi Alpha. What we're talking about is for any child of God who has been called out of darkness into light. And you want to offer gratitude. You want to speak truth of the character of God. You want to express your soul to God. God has given you a gift to do that with. Now we've, one, one way to do that is with songwriting, but there's another way that's for everyone. We call it heart worship. You may have heard about it before. Heart worship is really just leaning into that second half of Ephesians 19, 519. Like, okay, we, we, we're really good at the Psalms and hymns, okay? We got that down. But, but what about this like songs from the spirit, songs from our heart, you know? Have y'all ever, ever been in a setting where every person in the room is screaming out their own song to God? Yeah. Diff- like, all different times, you know, everyone's just singing their own thing out to God. It, it's chaotic. Man, it's powerful. Like, I, I've been in uh, REI several years ago. Uh, was anyone at that REI? All right, awesome. 
Yeah, so REY several years ago, we, we recorded a couple of songs, but it was really just a worship night, praise night. Um, <laughs> praise night. And uh, at the end of it, like we, we were just kind of tracking new songs and stuff, and at the end of it, something happened, right? If you were there, you remember it. We just kind of kept going, and then for the next 30 minutes, we were just drowning in sweat and jumping around and screaming, and like there were all these new songs that were coming up. And it was really, really beautiful because it, it was like chaotic. Everyone's just like singing and praying and whatever. And then sometimes it would all just kind of consolidate. We would hear what someone's singing. Someone else would start singing what they're singing. Like, yeah, that's resonating with me too. And then everyone starts singing a new song, you know? A lot of the songs that you've, you've even heard before sung in some of these worship sets began like that. Just a group of us together loving on God. And then we all just start finding what's resonating with us and we start singing the same thing. It's really cool. But even in that, like, if we're, if all we're thinking about is, okay, what else rhymes with fire other than desire? <laughs> you know? Or like, I'm not really a singer and Justin over here standing next to me, he can hit like a high D I don't even know how to spell that. You know? <laughs> like, I'm not a good singer. I'm not a musician. I'm tone deaf. I can't carry a tune. You know? Who cares? Chant. <laughs> For centuries, people just chanted. You know? You can chant. I don't care. Express what's in your heart to God. That's what matters. And the thing is, like, you're, you're among good company. None of us care what you sound like. None of us are listening to you. You know? Like we're, we're just we're expressing our love to God together, right. yeah. so we call that heart worship. And and for everyone here, I want to I want to challenge you to make space for heart worship right. in your own lives. If you're a musician, just sit down at the piano and just worship God freely, not trying to write a song, just trying to express something to God. You know, if you're in worship over here, if you're in praise, we're having praise time, and you'll notice a lot of times like the band, we stop singing, we just start playing music. What a great space to just make up a song and just express your heart to the Lord. And we, if you're a worship, if you're a praise leader, I'm telling you, man, it's ingrained, isn't it? If you're a praise leader, if, if you are responsible for stewarding the time of praise on your campus, I want to challenge you to make space for this. It can, it can feel awkward at first, but you know what? It's normal. We just haven't normalized it yet. And we can if we just start doing it. Create space. We, we've done this before. We'll just play music for a while and encourage people to just sing out, you know? Just sing your own song. We're just going to play and we'll step away from the mics and we'll just spend some time. You know, whatever you do is whatever you do. I don't care. We're just going to create some open space where you can you can express your heart to God. But every one of you can do that at any time. A good time to do that would probably be now. <laughs> we're, about to, we're about to do that. Um, yeah, just making sure I haven't missed anything. Just remember the goal. The goal of, of expressing your heart isn't to reach the top of CCY charts or to win a double or make it on the Caleb cruise. It's not to impress your neighbor or anything like that. It's to be, it's to be authentic. To be authentic. If what you're singing doesn't match your worship, then it doesn't matter. Be, be authentic. Whatever, whatever is true in your heart, 
if it's a song of repentance, like, God, I'm not following you. I'm sorry, <laughs> you know? Sing that, you know? Express your heart to God. You know what I mean? So, yeah, may your praise be real. May it be a real, authentic expression of a worshiping life. Amen? Praise God. Can y'all give me 15 seconds? I'm going to put on this guitar. And what's going to happen next is we have, uh, we have like 10 minutes or so. What's going to happen next is you guys can do whatever the heck you want. I don't care. I want to challenge you, though, to stand and to sing, okay? To, to sing your own song. And what we'll do is we'll probably start with a song that we all know, right? And just start with that hymn and a corporate song that we can all sing together. And then I'm just going to keep playing music. And I want to challenge you not to just get quiet and, and wait to be led, but to just open yourself up and express yourself to God, right? There's nothing, I don't think there's anything more beautiful and pleasing to the heart of the Lord than the roar that comes up from his children who don't care what anyone else thinks. They just want to love on him. Amen? So let's do that. Give me just a second. By the way, you can move around. Y'all don't have to theater face me. Y'all, some people come up by me. Let's like circle up a little bit. You guys know Holy? One of those Corey Asbury songs. <laughs> you all know the song about God that's called Holy? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
the life laid down as a living sacrifice. You're worthy of us following you wherever you lead us, saying yes to whatever you ask of us. You're worthy of our, devo our devotion and our abiding. You're worthy of our honesty. Lord, I pray over this generation that we be true worshipers. We worship in spirit and truth. We wouldn't be satisfied with empty words that, that aren't reflective of a true life laid down. And what, what we would offer would be true worship, holy and pleasing to you. We love you, God, with all of our hearts. Amen. Amen. Praise God.